Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the very first live edition of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. And I appreciate all those who join me live today as we uh, do a final discussion about Daniel's 70th week. So be watching for a bonus discussion. Uh, there will be a bonus one tomorrow uh, that I'm going to be releasing uh, that's from a couple of years ago that I did with Pastor Matt first and Brother Scott Clem, who was on the program recently. And so you'll want to check that out. That one uh, was pretty, pretty popular, well-received by many and hated by many others. And then next week, um, I will be starting something new uh, just to kind of uh, relieve some of the pressure of the daily content I'm going to start on Mondays. It's going to make my a little easier for my schedule. But on Mondays, I'm going to start releasing prophecy sermons. That and so these will be sermons preached in the past, some by me, some by other people. And so uh, I'm going to. If you have a favorite prophecy sermon that's been helpful, you could always send those to me if I get a chance to listen to it. I do want to include sermons from a variety of people. And you know what? I might not even agree 100% with everything they say, but if I think there's something valuable that can be learned from it, uh, I am going to put it on this channel, and uh, I think you all will get a blessing from that. And so uh, be looking for those on Mondays. It's always going to be sermons released at noon, but then um, as time goes on, I probably will uh, slowly... um, back off on just all the new daily content. But I really wanted to kick this thing off just doing a lot of different things. I have so much stuff I want to get out there. But again, the time constraints are extreme. And um, and so I do need to back off a little bit because I'm kind of overwhelming myself. But I do appreciate the feedback I've been getting. I've been getting a lot of good feedback and that helps me. That helps keep me motivated. So uh, thank you for all those who have uh, reached out, sent emails and things. Uh, that really is an encouragement, and I hope you are getting a blessing from this, and hope you'll continue to share this and get the word out. But um, while we were doing this too, I'm going to be answering questions today. appreciate the questions that have been sent in, uh, some that have emailed, some have left on comments. Um, probably won't be able to get to all of them. I will try to interact with any questions that come up on the live chat. I'll try to watch that the best I can. Um, if I, seems like I skipped over you, if the chat gets crazy, uh, just put the question on there again and, uh, I will try to address those things. I did have one individual, uh, who sent me about a million questions. I, uh, I'm not going to devote the entire program to one individual. Uh, and then mostly too, because his questions were more rebukes and uh, listen, if, if you just hate what I teach that much. Just go do your own channel and teach your own stuff. But um, I am always open to discussing things with people, talking about stuff. But I'm not necessarily always willing to just let someone preach to me. Okay, especially if I don't even know you. And many, many times, uh, especially with pastors, you know, they want to talk to you. You know, they want to have a discussion with you, but the reality is they want to preach to you. And it's just like, dude, I've heard this sermon 8,000 times. Do I really have to listen to it again? But, you know, you try to be polite, you try to be gracious. But if I don't know you, uh, it's not real likely I'm going to to do that with you. But anyway, so again, appreciate everybody uh, joining live. And uh, if you can like this, share this, help me get the word out be very helpful. I am very happy with, um, you know, considering this is a newer channel, uh, we've only got 358 subscribers so far, but the views we're getting compared to subscribers is pretty good. Uh, Makes me think I've got a lot of haters out there just watching. I want to see what I have to say to catch me in my words. And that's fine. Uh, But I wish they'd, you know, like and subscribe and all that kind of stuff. But either way, we're going to go ahead and get into some of the questions. And again, uh, this one individual, I don't know if I'll name him or not, who wants to send me more rebukes uh, rather than questions. Um, again, can't devote a whole program to you. And one thing too, I'm, I try to be very careful with. I learned a lesson a long time ago. A lot of times there's people who act crazy because they literally are crazy. And I came, I came really close to really harshly rebuking somebody one time because their behavior online was completely out of control. 
Well, then I met this person and I found out they're not all there. And so, and, and I've seen people in some of these online mobs just pile on mentally handicapped people and stuff. And it, it just looks horrible. And a lot of times the mob didn't know they were mentally handicapped. But I just have started a new policy. If people act crazy, I just assume they're all mentally handicapped. And so I try to be kind and respectful and not throw out too many insults. And so um, that's why I'm probably going to avoid this one person because I'm just I'm not sure. The evidence is there of insanity, but uh, I, I don't know. I've not met the person. But anyway, let's go ahead and get to the questions. And um, first one we have is from Victory in Jesus. And it says, I heard a pastor saying the desire of women isn't what is most commonly taught. If, the, if what he was saying is true, can you discuss that? If he was wrong, please disregard the question. And so I'm not 100% sure uh, exactly what they're referring to, what the pastor said about that. So I can't really speak as to whether or not they were right or wrong. But I do, I, I can speak to that phrase, the desire of women, because a lot of you have probably heard before that the Antichrist is going to be a homosexual, is what uh, some will say. But at the same time, I, I don't know that we can just automatically assume that. Obviously, with this guy being a son of perdition and being as wicked as he's going to be, uh, you know, the chances of him being a sodomite are probably pretty good. But is that a definite? Is God letting us know, hey, here's how you can identify the Antichrist. He's going to be an open sodomite. I, I don't know. Because let, let me point out a few things. That comes from Daniel 11. And verse 1 says, Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. And now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all the realm of Grecia. And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity, nor according to his dominion which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up, even for other beside those. And I read that part to show you that this prophecy is specifically about something that took place uh, when the Greek Empire took over the Medes and Persians. And everyone who preaches through Daniel, everyone across the board, whether pre-trib, post-trib, no matter what, they are going to talk about the Greek Empire. They are going to talk about Antiochus Epiphanes, who is not mentioned by name in the Bible. He's mentioned in the Apocrypha. In the first and second Maccabees, you can read about him, but he's not mentioned in the Bible. And I'm pointing this all out because people, when you refer to historical events involving 70 AD, they will accuse you of going outside of the scriptures. Well, everyone goes outside the scriptures and goes to history when they're interpreting Daniel chapter 11. Everyone does. A absolutely everyone. But at the same time, um, when you do it with Daniel 9, people lose their minds. And I'm showing that I'm saying all that to say that is a major inconsistency. What people do when they get all outraged over that is they are trying to just intimidate you into accepting their speculation that is not based clearly on scripture, but it's based on speculation, assuming a prophecy is going to have a dual fulfillment, or at least certain aspects of a prophecy are going to have a dual fulfillment. But that's not always completely fair. But at the same time, verse. let's jump to verse 31 of this chapter, because, again, I do believe there's a dual fulfillment here, but I'm going to show you why. Okay, I'm going to show you where I claim dual fulfillment and where I will say, well, maybe there's a possibility, but I am not going to assume it, nor am I going to get dogmatic on it. So if we jump to verse 31, it says, An arm shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God should be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, and they shall fall by the sword and by flame and by captivity and by spoil many days. Now when they shall fall, they shall be holpen with a little help. 
but many shall cleave to them with flatteries, and some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white even unto the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. And right there is that verse that she was referring to. And so many people use that to say he was a homosexual. But basically what this passage is saying, he's not going to regard the God of his fathers. This guy is going to be so lifted up. It's not going to matter what his fathers believed. It's not going to matter what had been going on in the past in that kingdom. He is going to declare himself above all gods, is what this is saying. And this is talking about something that already took place in the Greek empire. And so when it says, and is nor the desire of women, okay? Uh, what some people believe is that means he's not going to be interested in women. What some people believe is this he's just not even influenced by the desire of women. Because women were one thing that often got kings in a lot of trouble. They were always multiplying in themselves wives. Solomon got in trouble for loving many strange women. They would have a lot of influence over them. Where this guy, it wasn't going to be that way with him. He's just going to be so obsessed with himself. I don't, I don't know. Either way, it doesn't matter. All this stuff here already happened. Okay, now I know I'm triggering some of you, but I'm gonna don't don't worry, I'll calm you down here a little bit. And so it says, But in his estate he shall honor the God of forces, and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with the strange God whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many, and shall divide the land for gain. So read all that to just show you that everyone who preaches through this, through uh, the book of Daniel, we'll talk about Antiochus Epiphanes, the Greek Empire, show how this has already happened. Okay? So you say, well, okay, but dual fulfillment. Okay, well, are we going to say all of it is dual fulfillment? Or are we just going, this is what I do. I mean, it could be. Do we really think every one of those single events are going to happen again? Is Greece going to fight with Persia again? Is that all going to happen again? Or... Are we seeing certain elements of this that are prophetic about things to come in the future? That also is probably what is likely. And so what I will, what I do in my interpretation, I guess if you, for lack of a better term, is I will take the things that are stated in the New Testament about these things, and I will say those would have a dual fulfillment. For example, Jesus at the Olivet Discourse said, when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And I think most people agree, an abomination of desolation happened with Antiochus Epiphanes in the first, first or second Maccabees. It literally calls that event where they go and they desecrate the temple, the abomination of desolation. For sure, that happened. But Jesus said, speaking to his disciples, that when ye see it, it's talking about something that was going to happen again in the future. Well, so then guess what? We can definitely say the abomination of desolation was future for the disciples in that time. And I believe we see another fulfillment of that uh, with the events took place in 70 AD. And so, yes, when Jesus said that, it was future. When Paul referenced this, and Paul in second, I've already talked about this in Second Thessalonians 2, 3, when he said, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That language is just like what we see in Daniel chapter 11. So I believe there is going to be another fulfillment of that, because while we do see the abomination of desolation, take place in 70 AD. What we don't see during that time, and I can't, I, I know some people claim it, but I've not seen a good example of this that resembles it. And that is the, the man of sin being revealed, the son of perdition. You know, the world accepting a man as an antichrist, him or, or as, as the Messiah, him, uh, him causing to take people to take a mark. 
you know, we see certain similarities, but there's a lot of specifics that we see in Revelation that we do not see anywhere in history. And that is why I believe what Paul was talking about there is something that's still yet to come. We never saw those things fulfilled. But we did see things concerning Jerusalem and concerning the temple fulfilled. Those are the things that are fulfilled. The things concerning national Israel and the temple. And so uh, you say, well, there's got to be a reason for dual fulfillment. And there is. There is a reason for dual fulfillment. I preached on this the other day when going through Zephaniah, but I'm going to tell it to you here in this program. And I think a key verse to prove this. In Luke 13, 34, Jesus speaking says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which kills the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I mean, first off, that sounds like a good time when you can say that, uh, and this is only days before his crucifixion, when for the overspreading of abomination, he shall make it desolate. And Jesus did that when he pronounces this curse on him. But notice how Jesus said, how often would I have gathered you together, but ye would not. I believe there has been many times in history where things took place in Jerusalem, in Israel, where you know God gave them an opportunity to repent. God gave them an opportunity for deliverance, but they would not. That's what Jesus said. How often would I have gathered you? How do you interpret that, Brother Tommy? I think there were many times Jesus would have gathered them, but they would not. So we see a lot of things throughout history, several different times, where certain major events took place that you could say could have been the fulfillment, but they would not. And so because of that, this was the final time in uh, you know, their day of visitation. Jesus said, your house is left unto you desolate. That's when it was, it was determined. So uh, that's what I believe is going on there. So, uh, you know, when, it, when, we, when we start talking about things like the desire, you know, not regarding the desire of women, I don't think we need to necessarily try to apply that to the Antichrist or the son of perdition, that was, you know, a lot of those specifics were talking about something that has already come and gone. So, um, oh, well, I'm not, I wasn't watching the chat, but uh, let me check. And so uh, Clovis Rabirio, I'm going to try to, I want to try to prioritize live people too. I want to get to the YouTube comment ones, but I appreciate people joining live. So I do want to try to prioritize their question. I'll try to give shorter answers to things I tend to ramble on. But Clovis uh, Ribeiro says, can you give a small overview of your timeline of the 70th week? Yeah, so my, and I'll be saying more about this in a little bit, but I'll, I'll briefly give this. My timeline of the 70th week, I believe the 70th week started at the announcing of, of the Messiah by John the Baptist and the anointing of the most holy that took place at his baptism when the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus Christ and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I believe he had a three and a half year ministry and in the midst of the week, he caused the sacrifice and oblations to cease. Jesus ended those things. Now, some people think that because the Jews and their rebellion continued to do those things, that that was not fulfilled. Understand those sacrifices after that were not accepted by God whatsoever. You know, they can do whatever they want, but it it is not sanctioned by God. It was them it was rebellion. And I believe that the um I, I it's my opinion and I and I'm going to give you more reason for that in a little bit that the stoning of Stephen ended the 70th week and then that's when we see the shift uh the focus shift to the Gentiles. That was 7 years of God confirming that covenant to Israel. So that's what I that's what I believe about that. Now if you're asking a timeline of things yet to come, that's a completely different uh question and, and you'll have to ask it that way because if we talk about 70th week, I'm only going to talk about past things, not future things. And so uh, another question, why do you think Daniel 9 verse 4? Oh okay, yeah, that was one of the questions that somebody left. In fact, uh, that was my second one I had to address. Yeah, why do you think verse 4 is referring to the new covenant? when verse 13 mentions Moses' covenant. Well, verse 13 
if you read that, it doesn't mention uh, Moses' covenant. It says, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. And then later uh, it refers to, um, I didn't mark that part down, but it, re- it re- refers to the oath that God had made. This isn't about the covenant. What this is a reference to is uh, Deuteronomy 28. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, that is where God prophesies exactly what had happened to them with the captivity. God's telling them, if you will hearken and diligently obey God's voice, he gives all these blessings. And for several verses, he talks about the blessings. But in verse 15, he says, if thou wilt not hearken and observe all these commandments, cursed, cursed, cursed. He goes through all these curses and he specifically mentions too that he will bring an army and they will take you captive and all these horrible things are going to happen to you. So, um, you know, that that reference there uh, in verse 13, it's not referring to, you know, this Mosaic covenant. No, this is referring to an oath, a promise, a prophecy that God made. Uh, this, you know, Deuteronomy 28 is just telling you this is what's going to happen if you disobey. And this is what's going to happen if you obey. So, some, I'm probably going to do a whole video on this one of these days. But something people need to understand about prophecy is prophecy is not just me or God or a prophet saying, this is what's going to happen. Sometimes it's saying, this is what's going to happen if you don't repent. So that means there's two possible outcomes. So it might give a doom and gloom prophecy, but it gives a place for repentance. So none of those things might happen. For example... You have 40 days, Nineveh should be overthrown. Nineveh didn't get overthrown in 40 days. You know why? Because God gave them repentance, meaning they repented and God spared that judgment. Sometimes in prophecies, God would not give them repentance. Sometimes they would hear the prophecies and it wouldn't matter how they felt or if they repented. It was determined it was going to come. Nothing was going to change that. So some prophecies, yeah, they happen exactly as God said, those prophecies typically are given in the past tense. Like when it says Babylon has fallen, has fallen, okay? In Revelation, there's not going to be any repentance for Babylon, okay? Babylon will be destroyed. When it's spoken of in past tense like that, typically it's because there's no, there's no place of repentance. And so, you know, there's, it's really kind of a pointless thing to try to get Babylon saved, okay? We can get individuals saved, but Babylon is going to be destroyed. So, um, so yeah, verse 13 is referring to something different than what we see in verse 4. And so uh, let's keep looking at these chats. Um, all right, so I'm just trying to read. I'm not good at reading all these things and talking at the same time. So... Yeah. All right. So I, that's the thing. Some I can't tell if some things are questions or just people leaving comments, which is fine. Leave comments, but then I gotta I gotta read through them. Maybe start out anything that's an actual question. Just start it out as question, and then leave the comment. That way I can sort through uh, better. That'll make it easier. So uh, another question someone mentioned. Uh, this is from Chaos Reigns. What would you say marks the end of the 70th week? And is there something that possibly points to it being exactly three and a half years after Messiah is cut off? And uh, since that happens exactly three score and two weeks into it in the midst of the week, also according to the end of Daniel 9.24, is the last three and a half years just sealing up the vision and prophecy to anoint the most holy. So, um if I again, I think I understand this question properly, but let me. Yeah, I do want to take some time to explain why I hold to the three and a half year ministry and the three and a half years after the stoning of Stephen. Okay, and understand some of you, I, I know what you're going to say about my response, but all I have to say to your response before you even say it is hypocrite. Okay, I'm not going to call you a hypocrite after you say these things to me. I'm going to call you a hypocrite before because I know what the response. 
is going to be. But what do you base the three and a half years ministry off of? And that is, that's a great question. Um, well, first off, um, what many base that off of is Usher. Okay, the annals of the world and Usher. He's got a timeline of the Bible and the way Usher. Okay, the way Usher got three and a half years. As um, and he understand Usher did not use just Bible. Did you know that just using Bible, there's some things you can't figure out when it comes to timeline. The Bible doesn't give it. Okay, so understand though, you know history is you know it does not trump Bible. Okay, but if if history doesn't uh, contradict the Bible and somebody wants to use it, it's not that big of a deal. And it's, if history backs up what the Bible teaches, then I tend to think that that history is credible. And so I'm going to say more about that in a little bit, but let me show you what Usher did to get three and a half years. So he mainly goes, uses the book of John. And in John 2.11, it says, the beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He and his mother and his brother and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So right there, uh, and understand, John is written very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John, it gives like big overviews of things, and then it will like zero in on maybe one or two stories here and there where it gives a lot of details. But it is, it's written very different, and you do have to pay really close attention, and there's a lot of sections where, you know, there's no telling how much time took place in those areas. So it is confusing. But in John chapter 2, after some, at some time, don't know how long, after Christ's first miracle, we have Jesus going to Jerusalem, and he's specifically going to Jerusalem for the, for the Passover. We also see that Jesus, when he was 12, you remember that story when he got left behind in Jerusalem? Why was he going to Jerusalem? He was going to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so in John 2, Jesus is going for the Passover. In John 5, it says in verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and the Jews went up to, or Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. Now Usher says that this was his second Passover uh, in his, in his ministry. Now, John does not explicitly call it the Passover. It does say it was the Jews' feast, which the Passover just happened to be one of those things. But they had other feasts and things too. But we do see Jesus going to Jerusalem, as we're going to see in every Passover mentioned with Jesus. He's always going to Jerusalem for it. So there's a lot of, there's a very strong possibility that this was a Passover. I will admit it's not explicitly stated. But Usher put that as the second Passover. Now, if you can prove to me what feast it was, if you could prove to me that it was not the Passover, then, you know, okay, maybe it wasn't three and a half years. But either way, it's not it's not super clear. But we do see Jesus always going to the Jerusalem for the Passover. Luke 2.41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So every year when Jesus was growing up, he went to Jerusalem for the Passover, and it would appear in his ministry that his trips to Jerusalem were always surrounding the Passover. So I don't think it's a big stretch to assume John chapter 5 uh, is referring to a Passover. And so uh, they, but Usher would say that's the second one. And then in John 6 verse 4 it says, in the Passover, a feast of the Jews, so notice it calls the feast of the Jews, I get it. They had more than one feast, was nigh. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, when should we buy bread that these may eat? So this story in chapter six is happens when the feast of the Jews is nigh. So that he would say that was after that would be Christ's third Passover. And so again, when we get to John chapter 11, says, and the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and then that's the Passover where Jesus died. So that's where Usher gets his uh, three and a half years. So for sure, for sure, we've got um, you know two Passovers 
before the one where Jesus died. But there is strong evidence that there probably was a third. So the three and a half years, it makes sense. And then you got to understand, too, Usher believed, as did everybody back then, that Christ's ministry was him confirming the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of that week, him being cut off. So obviously, you know, that belief, that interpretation of Daniel 9 probably influenced people's thinking on that stuff. But it's not baseless, and there is pretty good evidence for it in John. But I'll, I'll admit, it's not as clear as I would like it to be. Now, what everybody needs to get a hold of is that a preacher's speculation or the speculation of many theologians does not necessarily trump history, okay? Bible always trumps history, but your speculation is not Bible. And what often happens is there's things that people speculate on when it comes to the scriptures. We don't really know, but it's been it's been repeated so much that it becomes doctrine in people's minds. And then later somebody comes along and historically proves their speculation wrong, and then they accuse you of putting history over the Bible. No, you're putting your speculation over history. And that's not that's not credible credible either. And so understand Usher, when it came to his timeline, he used much more than the Bible for a lot of things. Now I don't know what he would have used. Uh, I ha- I didn't even, I haven't even read all of it. Uh, I don't know if he read used anything when it came to Christ's ministry to prove three and a half years historically. I don't know. Um, I've not looked deeply enough into that, but I will say when it came to the stoning of Stephen, he refers to all kinds of different sources and, and he refers to all kinds of different things, all historical. So understand it is, it is historical. And so the idea that the stoning of Stephen ended the 70th week, I mean, it fits with my interpretation of Daniel nine, as well as many theologians interpretation of Daniel nine, it definitely fits. And so uh, again, history doesn't trump Bible, but the Bible doesn't give us a timeline. So if we're looking at history and it's like, yeah, this lines up perfectly with what we're seeing, then, you know, we're, we're going to lean that way. Now, the problem that people have is they've come up with a weird version of Daniel's 70th week that they can't prove from the scriptures. They've got a 2000 year gap. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They make everything, you know, they they make Daniel's 70th week about global events when it was about Jerusalem, when it's specifically about the destruction of the sanctuary. And they, they ignore all those things that happen. And we're supposed to believe that over an interpretation that lines up perfectly with history. I, I So all I'm saying when you get offended by people using history, all I can just say is hypocrisy. Okay, Hypocrisy. You're wanting your speculation to trump history that lines up with a much better explanation of a scripture. And in Acts chapter 7, it was a pretty big deal when he's preaching to the Jews. And the Bible says they were cut to the heart. They gnashed him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. And, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. We just happened to get introduced to the apostle to the Gentiles right here. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down, cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this into their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know what I think this very well could have been? One more time. When how often would I have gathered thy children together, but ye would not? I I don't know. May, maybe that was God, uh, you know, giving them that final opportunity for repentance. I I don't know for sure. I can't say, but all I know is we do see a huge shift uh, after that event. And you know what? We the while there had been a great revival in Jerusalem, we don't ever see that again. And we won't, I don't believe we will see it again. I don't think there's any Bible to prove that we will. So, um, yeah, my my question or my belief about Daniel's 70th week, uh, it is. It's, it's assuming I'm interpreting Daniel 9 right, and it's assuming 
that history uh, is correct on those things. So I'm, I'm honest enough to say where that's coming from. But again, your speculation doesn't trump history. And so anyway, um, so you know, Clovis has a question. Do you think that the things to come are going to happen in a period of seven years? I mean, I think so. That's that's my opinion. Um, but, you know, I, I'm open to uh, other possibilities on that. The seals, we do not get any timeline for the seals. The Bible gives no timeline for that. And so uh, you have your kind of historicist view where people believe it's been happening throughout history. You know, I, I mean, I don't know that I buy into that. I, I don't really buy into that, but I think it's possible. I just, I haven't had anybody show me clear enough historical evidence, you know, that, you know, that's what those things were. I don't know. I, I, I struggle with that, but, um, you know, I, I'm not going to fight with anybody that has that belief. In fact, um, I, I won't, I won't mention their name just because I haven't, uh, I haven't talked to this person about it yet, but there is a pastor that I know who believes that uh, those things have been happening throughout history. That's got a pretty detailed uh, outline of those things. And I'm thinking about having them on here and it, it'll, it, and some of you people that listen, it's going to blow your mind and you are going to freak out listening to this guy. Cause he's going to say stuff that's just going to tick you off so bad. And I don't even know if I believe him, but it's, it's, it's interesting. And I'm willing to hear what he has to say. He believes Jesus is coming back and uh, and so I, I'm not going to get dogmatic about the seals, but um, I think I think I'm caught up on the questions there on the live chat. So, but yeah, I do think the and the reason I think here's my my basis for seven years coming has nothing to do with Daniel nine, has nothing to do with that. It only has to do with the three and a half year periods mentioned in Revelation. I I am only dog, but. Even then, I'm only dogmatic about the three and a half years. I'm not dogmatic about seven years. I think there's good evidence that all those things could be uh, the same three and a half years, not necessarily two different ones, but I, I, so I'm not going to fight with people on that. But anyway, um, I love when questions start out like this. This makes absolutely no sense. How can you jump through the those hoops? This is Mike Sandlin. How can you jump through those hoops and say 490 years has been decreed? Oh, but wait, it actually went beyond that time frame. No, you're teaching a false doctrine. Sounds like replacement theology to me. That guy is definitely a pre-triver because when you know pre-trivers, their, their doctrine is so weak. The pro-Israel doctrine is so weak that all they can do is they have successfully demonized Terms like replacement theology, preterism, and they just scream preterism. They scream replacement theology as if that just debunks everything that you said, no matter how much Bible you give them. And pre-tribbers are the best at doing that. But let me read that verse again in case I didn't explain it good enough. In verse 26 says, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with the flood, and under the end of the war, desolations are determined. The 70 weeks go to the Messiah, the Prince, and his confirming of the covenant. What he's saying here, he's given a marker for when the Messiah is going to be cut off. And that cutting off of the Messiah, again, for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. God's doing this. The Messiah is doing this. To Jerusalem, Jesus said, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Everything that came upon Jerusalem, it came because of the curse that Jesus put on them. And so understand though, but he did what he said he was going to do. He confirmed that covenant. And so, and he left their house desolate. He left it for the overspreading of abominations. And those things took place until the end of the war. There's, no, there's nothing that Daniel said that requires everything that is mentioned in here fall within that 490 years. No, only the confirming of the covenant for one week needed to fall within the 490 years. He did not give a timeline 
for when the sanctuary be destroyed. And I believe he did that for a reason because, again, God wanted the Jews to accept Jesus as the Messiah. And so God did not give them a timeline. They were supposed to be ready. They were supposed to, they were supposed to have faith. They were supposed to believe on him and God didn't give them a timeline, but we can look back and say, well, you know what God did give him? God gave him 40 years. And then you know what happened? Destruction, sudden destruction came on them and, and they went down. And so, um, yeah, God did give a timeline for the Messiah. He did not give a timeline for the destruction of Jerusalem. So, uh, that's what we're seeing right there. But the what began and what was already kind of going on, because again, they were under Roman rule beyond the 70 weeks. You know, they for hundreds of years after that, they were under Roman rule. The trotting down of Jerusalem by the Gentiles. There's no timeline on that. Jesus said, you know, it's going to be trodden. Uh, I don't have the verse in front of me, but he talked about it being uh, trodden under foot of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So all these horrible things that were going to come on Jerusalem, there was no timeline given for those things. It was just stated that it was going to come until it was finished. I think until Jesus comes back. And so the destruction of the sanctuary, no timeline was given for that. All right. So that's what everybody needs to get a hold of. No timeline given for the destruction of the sanctuary. The timeline was given to the uh, uh, up into the coming of the Messiah. And so he, he marked that point. And after that, they just needed to believe on him. They needed to get away from the sanctuary. In fact, the end of Hebrews, he's calling on the Hebrews to follow him, talking about Jesus, without the camp, bearing his reproach. He's calling on the Hebrews to leave the temple and to leave the things of the temple. And, you know, so I, I, I find that very interesting because God was done with those things. And so they, um, but the destruction, judgment, the the final judgment on Jerusalem, the timeline was not given. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that helps a little bit on that. Um, so yeah, Anon C, are you willing to be presented with historical evidence of the seals and trumps being partially fulfilled at all that fit the project and setting? Yeah, I'd absolutely love to see that. Um, and I've... Uh, I've said I've heard people verbally explain some of that stuff. I've not looked into their sources. Um, you know, I've not checked those things out with history myself, but I'd be very interested in that to see if it makes sense. Now, uh, again, one of the reasons I there's one guy I want to have who not only does he believe the seals have been happening throughout history, but he even believes the trumpets have been hap- happening throughout history. And um, I, I would love to talk to him about what he believes the specifics were. Here's my question that one of the questions I would ask him, because I don't know what their answer is to this. And, and, you know, people that are from the futurist world typically know very little about preterism, historicism, uh, you know, amillennialism, postmillennialism. We've just, we've only ever heard the classic dispensational futurist stuff. And so, as a result of it, there's a lot of ignorance, you know, in people's actually beliefs. So I try to be careful in what I say about them. But when any of those things were taking place, um, you know, did anybody say this is the first seal? This is the second seal? Has anybody ever known what seal they were in, why it was happening? Or is this something everybody knew after the fact? I don't know. You know, when the second trumpet blew, did anybody know when it's no, that was that was what was happening? You know, and so it, you know, the, our world is so big and stuff has been going on for so long. Seems like you could find something in history that resembles, you know, those events. But again, you know, maybe if you find it in the right order, I don't know. I just, I, I've yet to hear anything that makes a whole lot of sense. But if, if somebody claims they have something that makes sense and is coherent, uh, I was told uh, I was told that before Darby, Schofield, Larkin, that most Baptists had that view. Um, I'm not seeing the evidence of that. That's just what I'm. That's just what I'm hearing. So, uh, another question: What would you title? Uh, what would you title your positive? 
or position, I think he means. Still post-trib or just pre-wrath? I I mean, for sure, we're all post-trib because if, if we say the tribulation was in Matthew 24, obviously it happened after that. But again, uh, I like the term pre-wrath better just because I think pre-wrath is more accurate. And uh, I'm, I really want to use my, my terms to be as biblical as possible. And uh, we are clearly not appointed to wrath. We're, I believe we're going to be delivered from the wrath to come. And so I'm definitely pre-wrath. I know we're going to be out of here before God pours his wrath out on the world. And so I think that's a more uh, biblically accurate term that puts the right thoughts in people's mind. When you say post-trib, the problem is you have to explain it to people. The problem is most people have Larkin's definition of tribulation, and it's just confusing. So I, I was just talking with somebody about this yesterday, and it is, it's is—it's frustrating because, and I don't think this is good, and I think we need to work on this, but like if I'm, if I'm, pre, if I'm preaching in a, in a new IFB church, and I say post-trib, and I say replacement theology, they know exactly what I'm talking about. There will be no confusion if I say those terms in a, in, a, in a new IFB church. If I say those terms in an old IFB church, they are not going to know what I'm talking about. They are going to think, I mean, I think the rapture is coming at Armageddon. They're going to think that I'm, I believe we're here for God's wrath. When they hear replacement theology, they're going to have a lot of Catholic ideas in their mind about stuff. They, you know, most Baptist churches they do they do not understand uh, or have a proper understanding of what the new IFB teaches on on replacement theology. And so, I I agree with the vast the vast majority of what I hear from new IFB churches when and when they're talking about post trib and. Uh, replacement theology and all that stuff. But at the same time, uh, those those terms are very confusing for people. And I just don't have time to educate everybody on those things. So what I'm, what I'm trying to get in the habit of doing is just speaking as biblically as possible and, and let it blow, you know, let it blow people's minds too. And I've been having fun. I did this on purpose. But if you watch, I think it's my latest short that I did. Uh, about how the return of Christ is going to be visible. All the verses I used, I believe are easy to prove that they are rapture verses. Very easy. And I did all that too, just to get all these people to correct me by telling me that no, those are about the second coming because I love throwing it in pre-tribbers faces when they tell me, no, the rapture and the second coming are two different things. Show them First Thessalonians 4 where Paul called it the coming of the Lord. I love doing that to them because it proves to them that their terms are not biblical, that they got them from theology books. Their theology is from theology books. It's not from the scriptures. It's not. And so um, the, one of the things that has killed the pre-trib crowd is they don't use biblical terminology. And and I don't believe in the in the post trib replacement theology world that we are you know we not all of our terminology is biblical. It's it's better, but let me say this: anytime I'm the more I'm studying the I'm learning the more biblical we make our terminology, the more it strengthens that position. And so, um, you know, I. I'm I'm trying to be careful with my terms because I don't I don't want to send the wrong message. So I do I I prefer to say pre wrath because unfortunately Larkin defined the tribulation for us and everybody I mean the vast majority of people unless they're in the new IFB think that the tribulation is seven years and they have the wrong idea because of bad theology from dispensationalism and stuff and so when you say pre wrath then you know they they know that's not pre-trib they know everybody knows that but then it makes it too where they can't accuse you of saying that we're going to be here for God's wrath so i i found too that term triggers pre-tribbers a lot more so i like that term um and i i'm, I'm trying to use that one more i am i'm i'm trying really hard 
to get better about using biblical terminology on stuff. I'm working on it. I got a lot of bad habits, but try, trying to work on these things. So I'm only going to probably go about an hour, and I, I, I've still got a lot more of these things to get to, but uh, getting sidetracked with stuff. But this one's from Baptist Christians, and I'm, I'm using this to just kind of show hypocrisy, and I'm not trying to be mean to this guy. Everybody does this in the pre-trib world. But he says, appeal to non-biblical events is ultimately faulty. While they can have application to those times, actual fulfillment takes place within biblically referenced scriptures. It's complete in itself, and we should not look outside of it for our doctrine. So right there, um, you know, I, you know, you hear what he said. He literally created a rule that I can't say anything's be, been, been fulfilled unless it's contained in the pages of scriptures. And that's what he just did. But isn't it interesting how we can claim something for the future? You know, it's okay for us to, to do that. You know, even though the future is outside of the biblical timeline, I mean, according to his, you know history, John wrote the book of Revelation after 90 AD. So, you know, if we're, you know, we're still going outside that timeline if we say something's in the future. But here's the thing about that. If the Bible says something is going to come on that generation, then can't we assume it's going to come on that generation? And so, and, and so how much, how is it more biblical to look for fulfillment 2,000 years later when, the, when God's word says it's going to happen in that generation? And so Jesus, everyone we will agree that Daniel prophesied destruction of the sanctuary. Jesus prophesied the destruction of the temple. He said it was going to happen in that generation. And so the Bible does not record the destruction of the temple, but it says it's going to happen in that generation. So when I'm looking at history and I'm saying, yep, sure enough, there it is. Just like Jesus said. I mean, what Josephus, who's in, which is not Bible, what he wrote lines up exactly with what Jesus said. But then you're like, nope, you're going outside the Bible. And my you know, dispensational truth book says, this is 2,000 years in the future. That goes contrary to what the scripture says. So again, anybody that tries to call me out for using history, Josephus or whatever, for any of those things, they're, they're being hypocritical. When they do that, I am being consistent. I am acknowledging, I am admitting when something is based on history and I am admitting when something is based on scripture. What they are saying is based on speculation and often their speculation goes against what the scripture actually states. So uh, I'm sorry, I that kind of thing does not affect me. Uh, I'm not influenced by that thing, by that kind of thing. So Anyway, I think that I think I've gotten all the questions that were on the live chat and unfortunately I I Dane bless your heart. Uh I have like a million questions from him. Let's see if let, let's I'm going to go to one o'clock and then I'm going to have to stop, all right? Dane you asked too many questions, you should have prioritized something. But here's this question. You do greatly err on Daniel chapter 9. Dan I love when questions start out with a rebuke, telling me I'm wrong. Uh, Dane wants to preach to me. Dane doesn't, he's not really looking for, he's not really looking for answers. Daniel 9, 24, it's not about Jesus dying on the cross. What is it talking about when it talks about Messiah being cut off? Um, it is about his coming kingdom. What we refer to as the millennial kingdom here on earth. Even the apostles knew this when they asked Jesus if he was going to now establish his kingdom in Acts 1.6. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, without this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Clearly they understood this from Daniel's 70-week prophecy, and they could do the math and add the years as much as we can today. In theory, God offered the kingdom to the generation of Jews that would be living during the coming Messiah's time, but they rejected him, and the conditions of Daniel 9.24 were not met. Wait, wait, what were the conditions of Daniel 9.24. What were they? See, I'm reading all this too because to show you, this just shows that even post-tribbers have a lot of dispensationalism still in their heads. Okay? 
he said, he talked about the conditions have to be met of Daniel 9.24. What are the conditions? Daniel is trying to, he's praying for God to show mercy and to spare the judgment. The angel says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Where's the condition in there? He's not giving a condition. He's not saying this will happen if you do this. He's saying this is what's going to happen. This is an example of a prophecy where it's saying this is going to happen. There's no, there's no call for repentance here. Daniel's already repented. Daniel's repented of his sins. He's repented of the sins of his people. He's asking God for mercy. He's saying no. And what is he doing? He's saying this is determined. And it happened. So uh, where's the conditions? No, the problem is in the dispensational world, people are, they're obsessed with the Jews. They're obsessed with, with this idea that great things are going to come for them in the in the future. And they're ignoring the fact that the scripture shows, the scriptures teach. The In fact, this is in the Old Testament, but the New Testament refers to it constantly where it goes to the Old Testament and it prophesies that Israel would reject as a whole. That is, that is what the scriptures teach. They ignore Acts chapter 28, the final historical passage in the Bible. And, you know, as far as like in historical books, obviously there were things that were written after that, but this is written after Romans. Paul wrote, Paul wrote Romans before he went to Jerusalem and got arrested. And I'm not going to go through this again. I went through it one of the other videos, but he went and he preached to the rulers of Jews. Again, some believed, but some believed not. They did not agree among themselves. They departed after Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our father, saying, go unto this people and say, hearing ye shall hear and not, shall not understand, seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and they will hear it. You know what Paul, you know, or the writer of Hebrews is saying? That the prophets prophesied that Israel would not hear, but the Gentiles would hear. You see, Dane, unfortunately, you're making the same mistake the dispensationalists do. You, uh, you're not understanding the disciples, they did have a misunderstanding of certain things concerning the kingdom at that point. The Holy Ghost hadn't even come on them yet. When they made that statement there in Acts chapter 1, there were things that Jesus had not revealed to them yet at that point. There were many things that were revealed. The inclusion of the Gentiles had not been revealed. Paul revealed that. Okay, It was, it was clearly in the Old Testament, but it was not understood yet. They were Well, not even just Paul. Peter is where God started that revelation. Remember how Peter didn't even want to eat with Cornelius because it was a Gentile? And it, it was, it was an amazing thing when they came to the realization that the gospel is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well. There was so much they did not understand in Acts 1. They still, in, in the beginning of Acts, they were focused on J- Jerusalem, they were focused on Israel. They, they understood the prophecies that destruction was coming, but I believe that it's clear they thought there was a place of repentance. And so they're calling on them to repent. They're calling on them as a nation to repent of the killing of Jesus, but they didn't. And at the end of Acts, you know what they came to the realization of? That, you know what? The prophets, the prophets prophesied of this. We wanted Israel to get saved. We wanted them to repent, but not only did they not, they were never going to. This is what Isaiah wrote about. And that, and so what ended up happening to Jerusalem, it got destroyed. The nation was destroyed. They were taken captive, scattered all over, all over the world. That's what happened. And so, um, people are ignoring what the scriptures 
said, prophesied, would come on Jerusalem, and they're still expecting some future restoration of Israel, ignoring the fact that, no, the restoration of Israel is going to be in a time accepted. And Paul said, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Jesus came and turned every one of them from his iniquities. Peter preached that in Acts chapter 3. So the, the things of Israel, the things of the nation already happened. And so the fulfillment of certain things concerning the kingdom, the fulfillment of many of the promises that we see in the scriptures, those are going to be fulfilled you know, through the, they're going to be fulfilled through all the Jews that did get saved. They'll be fulfilled through all the Jews who will get saved. They will be fulfilled through all of us Gentiles who get saved. And, you know, and in the millennium, when Jesus Christ returns and sets up his kingdom, you know, they will be fulfilled in the very people God promised them to like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But as far as a future for national Israel, there's nothing to look for. That already, that the 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 prophecies were negative concerning them. Go listen to my sermon from Wednesday on Romans 10, where we refer back to all the passages that Paul referred to in Romans 10, and we read those entire passages, and the amount of doom and gloom and destruction it pronounces on Israel is astounding. But people read all that, and it's like they think God was bluffing. No, God wasn't bluffing. And go read what happened to Jerusalem in 70 AD. It's like, yeah, this is, you know what happened? Exactly what God promised would happen. So uh, anyway, um, we don't need to be looking to Israel anymore. And understand too, there's, you know, when it comes to how things are going to play out, a lot of it's speculation. A lot of it's speculation. Some people are looking for the Antichrist to rebuild the temple. I think that is very possible that that's what that's how it's going to play out. But a lot of that too, it's based on the idea that something's going to be going on in Israel because that's always where the focus is. But you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Those things can find their fulfillment just in the Antichrist, even if he has nothing to do with Israel, just a major persecution going on against the saints all over the world. Our body is the temple of God now. You know, him trying to put a mark in our forehead and in our hand, in the temple of God. I don't know. That That's one way it could play out. There's a lot of possibilities. There's a lot of scenarios. It's all speculation. But what's happened in the, in the, in the theological world or the eschatological world is people have speculated and have gotten lifted up with pride when it comes to their opinion, and they lose their minds and they foam at the mouth when anybody comes along and dares to pot think that, hey, it might not happen exactly the way you're saying, or especially the way you wrote it in your book. There's other theories out there, and everybody's going to fight to the death to defend their position. I'm not going to do that. I have positions. I'll tell you what my positions are, but I, 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 I try very hard to say, this is what I believe based on Scripture. This is what I believe based on history. This is what I believe based on, you know, on, this is what I speculate will happen. I try to be clear when I'm doing those things. There's some things I'm, where I'll say, the Bible says this is going to happen. For example, Jesus is going to come back. There will be a resurrection of the dead. That's spelled out in the Scripture. I'll fight with you about that. But when it comes to a lot of these other things, I'm not going to because I've taken the time to distinguish between what's spelled out in the scriptures and what's not, what's speculation and what's not. And so uh, I'm willing to talk to people who maybe have a different speculation than I do. And uh, I find it very profitable. And I always learn things from people. I learn things. I sometimes I learn things from pre-trivers. I've learned things, you know. I, I learn things from preterists. I mean, you know, people. Everybody knows something you don't know. But either way, um, as long as they're not crossing the lines of going into deep heresy, then I'm not going to hate on those people. And so, uh, anyway, I hope this was helpful for you today. This was our first live. Uh, episode of the spirit of prophecy and i do i do again i appreciate 
uh, the encouragement and the feedback that I've received. Uh, I hope these are a blessing. I hope you will help me share these. Hey, I'm learning. I've been paying attention to some of the analytics and things, and it really does help when people are liking these videos, uh, sharing them. Y'all can help me get the word out on this and hoping to have a lot more exciting programs. But be ready uh, next week on Mondays. Every Monday, I'm releasing a sermon on either Prophecy or Israel uh, by myself or other people. But also, um, I'm on Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm going to have Brother Matt first uh, on the program, and he and we're going to talk about a subject that I know I know will trigger some people. And no, it won't be about Daniel's seventieth week. No, it will not be about the Olivet Discourse. It will not be. It will not be about any of those things. But it will be something that will trigger some of you. So again. Thank you all, and even my good buddy Nick Sayers joined the live chat at the very end. Uh, he just missed it. Too bad he could have really asked me a bunch of good questions. But uh, anyway, thank you all for watching this. God bless you. We will see you all next time.